Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today. I am Oren McIntyre. So we look at the world around us today and there's a lot of arguments going on. There's a lot of debate. The right is constantly trying to outwit the left, trying to bring the facts and the logic, go ahead and defeat the ridiculous feelings of the left and show them that the science is on our side, the rationale is on our side. I want to talk today a little bit about why that might not be the best approach, not to say that the facts don't matter, not to say that the science isn't real or true, but understanding that there's a different kind of battle going on, something that is far more spiritual, something that is occurring because the world is looking to re-enchant itself. I want to explain a little bit about what that means and why we should think about that as we approach politics, the culture war, these different ideas. I also want to get into a little bit of a fun discussion about Starship Troopers. Uh, it's been kicking around on the internet recently, especially on Twitter, and I think it reveals something very interesting about the left. They always seem to fall into this, this kind of predictable pattern. I want to talk about that when it comes to talking about that, uh, that 90s movie. But before we do all that, guys, let me tell you a little bit about Ridge Runner. Hey, guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, Ridge Runner. Clown world is getting more and more crazy and you're looking for a saner way of life and Ridge Runner Land in Appalachia is ready for you. There's no better time than today to move your family out of a blue state or city where crime, cost of living and hostility towards morals, belief in God and America is growing more and more unhinged each day. Ridge Runner picks pristine land in rural Appalachia with top notch beauty, value and location. Move to a Ridge Runner community and be surrounded by patriotic, ambitious Americans that have chosen to live in a setting where their children can run free, doors don't need to be locked, and natural beauty is abundant. If you have that pioneering spirit and you're ready to join Appalachia's rising future as you build yours, schedule a call today to learn more about Ridge Runner properties. Whether you work from home, hunt, fish, homestead, are looking to run livestock, or just to be in a community where your way of life is prized, Home Runner is ready to help you find the ideal property. With small acre lots starting at $35,000 all the way up to large 100-acre holler farms well-priced at under $400,000, Ridge Runner has options for anyone seeking a life piloted on the old ways in the bosom of America's traditional heartland. Visit www.ridgerunnerusa.com today. That's ridgerunnerusa.com. All right. So like I said, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the idea of disenchantment and reenchantment and why we need to understand this concept. If we want to understand the type of dialogue that's happening, the debates, the battles, the ongoing uh, culture war that's happening right now, why we need to understand this concept if we want to better uh, kind of execute our plan, if we want to be able to win people over, if we want to be effective in the discourse or in, uh, you know, in kind of the back and forth today so i was on twitter and as you often see there someone was making the argument that children can't choose their gender they can't choose whether or not they want to go through some kind of gender reassignment surgery or what it actually is which is just the mutilation of children they can't decide whether they want to do that or not for the same reason that a child can't decide whether or not they want a tattoo and this is just very logical we understand you know, to this day that we restrict children from making certain life altering decisions because they don't have the ability to go ahead and rational, uh, you know, rationally assess uh, the different outcomes, whether or not they're going to regret this in the long term, these kind of things. And if we can make that kind of decision with a tattoo, then obviously we should probably be able to make that kind of decision for a child 
when it comes to something like a permanent scarring or you know attempting to suspend pu uh, puberty with puberty blockers which is not harmless it does serious damage you can't just halt a critical process in human development and expect there to be no negative outcomes and that seems like a really rational argument right there, there that's no guff against the person making that argument they're they're drawing on a, a very rational comparison these things make sense there's nothing wrong necessarily with the argument that they're trying to make however my point uh, to to this person when i when i was trying to explain what was going on is that this is not the issue that's being addressed here the decision to go ahead and put an eight-year-old through some kind of suspended puberty, you know, on puberty blockers to, to prevent any changes, the decision to go ahead and surgically alter a 12-year-old's body in a way that is horrific and would be understood as terrible, monstrous child abuse in any other age, uh, a horrific punishment of the, for your enemies or something, to, to go ahead and put them through that process, that was never a rational choice. A lot of this stuff gets wrapped up in a bunch of pseudoscience people run studies a lot of people who are talking about it are doctors or professors and because it comes in this wrapping of science we tend to address it as if there's a real rational argument behind this as if someone has reasoned their way into this position but of course they haven't really reasoned their way into the position in the way that we mean there's a reason that a lot of evolutionary biologists who could easily understand that you know that uh, that uh, humans only had two sexes suddenly can't seem to be able to define biological sex, and it's not because they all just got really stupid or they all just forgot the scientific knowledge that they had in their brain. It's that people are fundamentally narrative creatures; they're spiritual creatures. We are not primarily rational creatures. We can do a lot of things. With our rational faculties, we can do a lot of very valuable things that have led to many great innovations and changes and positive uh, changes in some ways, but terrible and horrific uh, negative changes in other ways. We can use those rational faculties to do all kinds of things, but they are not our primary mode of understanding the world. And when conservatives get caught up in a purely rational debate about these things, they often wonder why they end up losing. They, they wonder, how am I engaging in saying something so very obvious that anyone who has studied even the most basic things about human anatomy or biology would understand? How could this not win the argument? And they don't understand that they're not having an argument about facts. So you're not engaged in some kind of rational scientific discourse. And this is really befuddling for a lot of conservatives because they thought this was how this got done. A lot of conservatives look at you know the, the history of the last 70, 80 years of the culture war, and they see defeat after defeat after defeat for the right. And the story that has been told to them, the one that has uh, kind of permeated our media and it's been re you know, regurgitated in our classrooms and, and put in textbooks and novels and, and all these things, is that the reason the right lost is that the left had better arguments. They were the rational ones. They were the ones with science on their side. They were the ones taking uh, learning and they, they had the intellectuals and they were the ones who were bringing the force of reason and, and all these things to bear on these old mystical, religious, uh, you know, traditional arguments and that those were losing because of that, of that scientific uh, win for the left, that the left was constantly bringing the force of logic and reason uh, and science 
to bear on all these. And, and so the right started to say, well, that's the mode I need to argue in, right? I need to go ahead and bring those same weapons to bear. I need to, to go ahead and get as good at that game of rational discussion and debate. I need to bring my science, my logic, my statistics, all these things to bear. And so you kind of saw this, especially a lot of people have pointed it out, you know, that kind of got under their height under maybe like the Reagan era where there, there's some really smart people, you know, in, in the Reagan uh, administration and they're bringing all of their economic arguments and they're bringing all their rational stuff. They got all the think tanks. They're building this huge intellectual case. And what we've discovered is actually once the right assembled all of the intellectual framework that the left has, and don't get me wrong, the left still owns a lot of the intellectual apparatus. Obviously, they own the university system. They own a lot of the things that would allow you to go ahead and bring weight and have uh, the, the kind of credentials that people listen to. But they, the, the right believed that if they went ahead and accumulated this kind of infrastructure as well, they would be able to go ahead and refute the left. They would bring the same tools and they would start winning these arguments. And what we kind of discovered actually is that then we just created the stalemate, right? What happened is not that everyone looked at the superior arguments of the right or they looked at all the different uh, data that had been accumulated, the papers that had been written and the books and, the, and all of this that had been brought to the table. Instead, what we ended up with is this intellectual standstill where every time you get into any kind of discourse, it's just one side breaking out studies that agree with them and the other side breaking out studies that agree with them. And nobody actually ends up changing their mind. The fact that the right went ahead and brought a bunch of new studies and brought the rational arguments and, you know, Ben Shapiro can, can speak really fast and, and make a, a college student look silly. None of that actually changed what most of the left believe. Now, there are some people who do change their minds from this. I don't want to make it sound like no one has ever heard a rational argument and then change their mind. That's not true. There are many people who have done that. But overall, this does not move the masses. This does not even move many elites, many of the people who think we think should be uh, very attuned to rational arguments often actually continue to just keep kind of their, their tribal loyalties, their loyalties to their own side, their, their own political uh, team. None of this actually works on them. And we get very confused as to kind of why this happened. And so I want to explain a little bit about kind of disenchantment and, and, and why this hasn't worked quite the way that we think it would. So when people talk about disenchantment, they're usually making a reference to kind of maybe Max Weber's idea of the fact that we are disenchanting the world, that many of the things that the processes that were once hidden and mysterious, they were tied to the mystical. They had, they, they were best explained through a religious understanding, having a theological frame with which to view things, certainly an appeal to metaphysics in the vast majority of situations that we were going through and we were kind of systematizing every process where, you know, the enlightenment and, and hyper-rationalization were bringing the tools of the scientific method to bear on everything, not just on natural processes, but also on things like psychology and sociology and many of the things that had been the domain of the spiritual, th those things were being translated into this much more secular and hyper-rational understanding of things. And this was disenchanting the world. This was this was taking a lot of things that had been mediated by, by forces that were outside of, of the purely rational and it was trying to bring everything inside of this sphere. And this process, uh, you know, has a lot of upsides. There's a reason that a lot of people got very excited about it. The, the fixation 
with a rationalistic lens can bring many benefits. Uh, it allows us to do all kinds of impressive things scientifically, of course, make a lot of advancements, medicines, all kinds of medical treatments. Uh, you know, we build build taller buildings, you know, faster jets. All, all, all these things are possible. Of course, it also brings about horrific wars. It brings about horrific weapons. Uh, you know, the ability to destroy the earth many times over. We usually pretend that technology is just this unmitigated good, that it never creates any kind of problems. Uh, but of course, that's not true at all. It can be disastrous for civilizations to develop technology just as much as it can be for them to fall behind in the development of technology. It's a it's a sword that definitely swings uh, both ways. However, uh, it, there are a lot of things that happen beyond just the scientific realm, obviously, as we go ahead and disenchant the world and we turned everything into this kind of quantifiable thing. We can move every bit of our interactions into the rational. We can go ahead and systematize processes, not just in the, in the scientific realm, but in the social realm, especially the economic realm. This becomes a huge deal. You're able to go ahead and, and mass produce things and mass consumption, the ability to go ahead and uh, make all kinds of vast advancements when it comes to uh, the, this uh, sphere of economics. And so this has all kinds of really good things. However, uh, there's a guy, Paul Vanderclay. He's been on my uh, show multiple times. You should check out his channel if, if you haven't. But Paul Vanderclay has, has a really good uh, an analogy. I, I don't know if he picked this up from someone else or if it's original to him. But he talks about how modernity created this amazing explosion, this disenchantment by closing an eye, by putting a hand over one eye but, and going ahead and uh, you know, creating this hyper-rational lens. When we're looking through a lens, when we're looking through a microscope or a telescope, we're getting to see something that we otherwise wouldn't see. We're seeing a, an amazing faraway world or something that's very small and close up. We can get to do all that because we closed one eye, because we went ahead and created uh, th this very particular way of seeing the world. However, while that's amazing and allows us to do all kinds of very cool things, it doesn't actually uh, give us a full picture of the world because the, the real world does need to be seen with both eyes. And we've spent so much time specializing, having everyone stare at one thing, right? We're, we're a, a world now where everyone's value is based on their ability to specialize. Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a politician. I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a, a police officer. Whatever it is, you need to get hyper good at that one thing, usually. Like, it's your ability to get very specialized in that field. And because everyone spends their whole life becoming specialized in one field, they tend to think that field is the most important thing that could ever exist. It's the most important thing that you could ever do. And we see to, tend to see the entire world through that one lens. And this disenchantment and this obsession with putting ourselves up to this hyper-rational lens and forcing the world to kind of fit in under this one particular way of viewing things has, again, created all kinds of amazing things. However, it's also something that limits our ability to truly understand what we are and who we are as humans in a world that is, frankly, spiritual as much as it is physical, that the real world is actually not a place of completely just super secular, super rational uh, you know, j just, you know, you're just blood and bone and skin and that's it. That's not actually the way that the world works. It it's very helpful to focus on that aspect of the world when you need to do something like open heart surgery, or if you need to figure out, you know, the best way to create a model to launch a rocket. 
like that that's a good time to go ahead and strip the world down in in an, into its its particular material essence in that way and hyper focus on that but it's not a good way to actually exist as people and so when we go ahead and we focus on just that particular aspect of society it traps us in a way it locks us in place and the truth is that we're starting to see this break apart we we're we're seeing that we have stretched the hyper-rational frame to its limits. Uh, we've gotten all kinds of amazing things out of it. Many people have a hard time imagining a world where we don't do only this, where we don't spend all of our time only focusing on this one thing and becoming this particular expert and closing our eye and only living our entire life staring through this lens. A lot of people have a hard time understanding how we could do anything else because look at all the amazing things around us and, and, and what that outlook has created, what this disenchanted outlook has created. However, we're not meant to live this way. And, and, and we're starting to see the limits of what the rational process can actually produce. We're starting to see that, you know, the human, uh, human civilizations are, are kind of fraying at the edges when they obsess about this. We don't have the ability to, to weave the social fabric that holds people together anymore. We don't have the ability to form families. We don't have the ability to, you know, to reproduce ourselves. We don't have the ability to, to, to share a moral vision and work together for a common good. All these things are coming apart because we've hyper-focused into the rational. We've we completely disenchanted ourselves to the point where we can't imagine a reason why we would ever care about future generations or you know sacrifice something of ourselves for you know uh, for any kind of greater good or understand uh, why we would go ahead and give up certain economic or technological advancements because it's actually more important to like look at the person across from you at the table and understand them and, and, and the way that they fit into the world. And that all of that isn't necessarily just a purely scientific assessment or a completely material uh, assessment of needs and wants and desires, but it's actually something that's far more than that. It's far more spiritual. It's something that, that really exists on a metaphysical plane. And if we're not willing to take the time out of our lives to go ahead and interact with that part of uh, our existence, we become really fragile as people. We become emotionally sick. We become spiritually sick. We become un unable to, to dream, unable to grow, unable to become more than, than you know, just kind of the small bug man that, uh, that only cares about their, their petty hobbies and these kind of things. And so we're starting to see kind of the, the edge of this. And what's happening is people are starting to walk away uh, from rationality. Now, again, conservatives thought that rationality was going to be like this amazing tool and because they watched the left use it to defeat them over and over again. And so they're very surprised to show up to like this battle of wokeness with a bunch of, of rationale, a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, of great arguments and scientific facts and suddenly start losing because this is all the weapons that the left used to disenchant the world that they were still holding on to. The right was still holding on to the last few bits of enchantment. They're still holding on to, Christianity, they were still holding on to a vision of a particular culture in America and an identity. They were holding on to family. They were holding on to those last little essential bits uh, of enchantment that were kind of keeping civilization together. And the left used all these rational, you know, all, all these scientific arguments to make that look silly, make that look stupid. You know, it, some of these weren't even actually very good at that. But the point was they, 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 they cloaked themselves in the, uh, in the veneer of hyper-rational uh, argument, even if they weren't actually doing that. Very few of the new atheists were any good at arguing against actual philosophical points and you know, in Christianity or anything. 
they didn't really ever engage with very uh, you know thoughtful arguments. They just went ahead and got the lowest hanging uh, fruit and did some laughing and eye rolling. You know that that was pretty much the, the the back and forth when it came to demystifying the world, disenchanting the world of its last little bits was was just the left kind of bringing not really anything very rational, but something cloaked in the idea of rationalism. However, what we're seeing is that corner is kind of turning. So Oswald Spangler actually uh, predicted this. He predicted that the West would eventually walk away from its hyper-rational nature, that eventually people would get tired. He actually specifically said science would, would go away, that, that we would see the West abandon its, its kind of, uh, uh, its uh, the fever pitch pursuit of science, the way that it fervently sought scientific knowledge, that we would walk away from that because people would get exhausted of having their world entirely predictable. People don't want to live very predictable lives. They don't want every aspect of the world defined, actually. We don't, we, as much as we've, we've become obsessed with the idea of knowing everything and predicting everything and being able to manage every minute detail of existence and control for every variable, as much as our kind of managerial elite want to do that, and we've become obsessed with the idea that this is the best way to live life, it's actually not healthy for humans. It's not the way people want to live lives. And people don't want to live these lives of, of carefully managed uh, you know, uh, procedure. They, they don't want to sit there in quiet desperation, hoping to find you know, that they're truly special somewhere. They, they want to have lives that are enchanted. They want to have lives that, that where they don't know everything. They don't know where, how everything's going to turn out. They don't know uh, how everything's going to resolve, that where everything isn't planned. They want to have lives that are surprising and, and magical and spiritual in nature. And he predicted that eventually we would just get tired of doing this and our greatest minds would simply walk away from science because science isn't this like thing where you just discover it and it exists in perpetuity, but it's actually something that has to be constantly practiced and, and, and uh, it has to be invested in heavily by your culture. And if you don't do that, then it's going to fall away. You can discover things scientifically, but then if your if your culture isn't interested in maintaining that knowledge, I mean, look at the fall of the Roman Empire. You know, there's, there's always the classic example, you know, but all of these times throughout history, Bronze Age collapse, where technologies were lost, you know, they, they, they were lost for hundreds of years and maybe thousand years in some cases, because there simply was no way the, the civilization was unable to perpetuate the, the importance of that. They were unable to perpetuate the culture. They were unable to keep up uh, the, 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 the high IQ people, the interest, the level of fervor that was necessary to continue to move that along and, and continue to keep that technology. Uh, and, and so we see this on a regular basis. Uh, you know, th this has happened over and over again. We're not immune to this. And so we're kind of going through this transitional period where we're actually moving, even though we still we still use the language of science and scientism, we still use the language of disenchantment. We're actually shifting to a period of reenchantment, where people actually want things to be reenchanted, and this is freaking some people out, understandably. And so I, I'm going to talk more about that in a second, like the the groups that are being freaked out by this interest in reenchantment and and kind of the way that logic and reason are kind of actually losing some of these battles and they're very confused by that but before we do guys let me tell you about your moral need your moral duty to go ahead and hire base people through new founding 
Hey guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, New Founding Talent. Look, we all know that the job market is a disaster right now. Based people can't find good companies to work for, and good companies can't find anybody to get the job done. The competency crisis is very, very real. So how do we get these two incredibly important groups together? We need organizations like New Founding. New Founding has created a network of high-excellence professionals who are seeking to join grounded American businesses. These are individuals, often in elite organizations, who are ready for a team and a mission that supports their values instead of working against them. Aligned companies are already using this network to hire high-trust, exceptional individuals who can match the culture and mission of their teams. So if you're looking for better employees to build a better world, you need to go ahead and apply for access to the New Founding Talent Network at newfounding.com backslash talent. You'll get connected with candidates who will build your business. That's newfounding.com backslash talent. Check it out today. All right. So like I said, we're going through this period of re-enchantment. We're shifting away from this idea that everything's going to be hyper-rational. Now, to be clear, we still use that language, right? You'll still, again, they, they cloak all of this, you know, gender transition, the, the, the rainbow jihad, all of this is cloaked in the language of science. We still see them trying to perpetuate that, uh, you know, the idea that this is what all the experts say, and this is, this is how all the rational people understand things. Even though they're still using that language because that language still has the currency of the day, that's still the way that we justify things. We still justify whether or not you should be, you know, you should be in charge on your credentials, whether or not you should have a high paying job, a powerful job, whether or not you should have all these positions of power based on what, you know, college you went to, those kind of things. So those arguments still hold sway from authority, but they don't actually use the, those tools anymore. They're, even though we're cloaking this in some kind of scientism, the truth is that these are very spiritual arguments. These are spiritual movements that are being deployed. And that shift is scaring a lot of people. This is particularly scaring kind of that, that what, what used to be called the IDW crowd, that uh, intellectual dark web, the, 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 the Weinsteins. And uh, I guess Jordan Peterson is not really part of that anymore. But, you know, the Barry Weisses and these kind of people, they're panicking. You see this, you see this from a lot of uh, scientists who are very invested in a secular view of the world because they're really confused. They thought that we would just have eternal progress, that you know, once we had gotten rid of the religious right, we gotten rid of all those Christians, then then we would enter the 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 utopia of our rationalistic age and we wouldn't have to deal with these backwards people anymore. And they're just finding that this religion stuff keeps popping up. And, you know, the idea now that wokeness is a religion is very common. This is something that is, that is now everywhere. Uh, that this is something that you'll see the, the uh, kind of the, the, um, the classical liberal crowd say on a regular basis. And they, they think that the problem of course is just that now leftism is, is a religion and religion is still the enemy. It's just a new religion popped up. They don't think about the fact that actually this is probably uh, keeps popping up because it's a true fact of humanity. It's an eternal quantity. That's, that's real uh, that there's a, there's a reality that will continue to assert itself that is spiritual in nature. And if you cleanse the Christian one, you're just going to get another version of that. But they don't understand that. They think that that means that they're, you know, there's just another backwater thing that they have to go ahead and, and tamp down before they can once again return to the 90s and, and all the rationality that, that's going to defeat all these, you know, backwards religious people. But uh, 
but they're very scared at this moment. They're, they're panicking at this moment because they thought they had kind of gotten rid of the final resistance to their thousand year scientific rule. And they're realizing actually now all these people who we thought were on our team, all the people on the left are actually, uh, they're the ones who are now bringing this kind of argumentation and their, their position is one that is, you know, the perpetuated because of their ability to manipulate this data. And if this data loses its primacy, if, you know, if the appeal to managerial expertise and scientific expertise loses its primacy, well, this class of people starts becoming irrelevant. And this is why you saw guys like Sam Harris very literally tell you that. They said, you know, I don't care if there's a rational argument for Donald Trump. I don't care if rationally you can show me that Joe Biden is more dangerous, all this stuff. I'm going to get rid of Donald Trump because, and we need to, we, you know, we can go ahead and lie about Donald Trump. We can smear Donald Trump. We need to go ahead and deplatform him for, forget all that free speech and argument stuff. I didn't really mean that. We can go ahead and turn all of these weapons against Donald Trump. Why? Well, cause he's threatening experts. He's threatening my class and my class being in charge is the most important thing. And so we need to go ahead and crush these people. We, we can throw all those principles in the garbage. We never really met those. We only we were only using them to justify our power. And as soon as our power is threatened, actually, we can flip all of those on a dime. Just, you know, that guy's the enemy. These people are friends and we want our friends in power and we want to defeat our enemies. And so a lot of these guys are freaking out because their, their arguments aren't working the way that they should. They thought that they they had kind of reached the apex. The rational uh, mountaintop had been we got to the top of it and it was over and, and they had won. And actually, they're finding out that that's not the case. And so what we're seeing is that the world is indeed going to be re-enchanted. We're seeing some of it now. Uh, you know, I was talking to Jonathan Peugeot about this. You can check out that episode. A lot of people really like that. But we talked about the fact that the, the world is being re-enchanted whether we want it to be or not. You know, the strong gods, as our arena would say, are returning. Uh, and and there, there's not a question of whether or not that's going to happen because humanity simply cannot continue to live this way. We live too much of our life with one eye closed. We, too, we live too much of our life staring through one lens and hoping that to force these results through these hyper-rationalistic processes. But that's over. That's done. We can't, can, we can't continue this way. Civilizations are crumbling as they continue to try to push this. Uh, peoples are falling apart. They're not able to perpetuate themselves. They're not able to reproduce. not able to, pa to pass on uh, their traditions or, or you know, their identities uh, because they've become too rational. Uh, and the, so we're just, we're shredding everything. We're, we're you know, the, we're, we're shredding all this hyper-rational uh, uh, identity is just destroying itself. And this, this is not the way that humans were meant to live. And it's not the way they're going to continue to live. And so the, whether we like it or not, the spiritual is returning, whether you like it or not, uh, we, we are being re-enchanted and it's starting with the worst things first, right? They were seeing this horrific attempt to re-enchant through the wokeness, right? The, the, the terrible re-enchantment of wokeness is is really what we're noticing now and what a lot of people are doing is they're trying to fight it with the old weapons right because again that's how the left defeated the religious right they brought the idea that they were the secular ones they were the scientific ones they were the rational ones they were the ones with the learned credentials and they were going to bring their studies and they were going to bring their statistics and they're going to show how silly these christians were and and you know they they pulled apart the last little bit of enchantment and so the right thinking, well, I'll just do the same thing. I'll just battle against these what are ultimately religious arguments from the left uh, with my own rational arguments. And just like the left did previously to the Christian right, and I will be victorious. 
but you're using the wrong weapons because we're that period is over and done. You're behind the curve. You can't just ape what the, the left did 20 years ago and win because you're in a fundamentally different time. Society is moving into a different phase where they're seeking re-enchantment. And so if we want to win, we need to stop fighting a war of rationale, though, to be clear, like, obviously, we're still going to have rational arguments. Obviously, we're still going to have statistics. Like, these things don't disappear. I'm not arguing against science. I'm not arguing against reason. Obviously, I'm I'm making reasonable reasoned arguments all the time. The point is, this will not be the primary thing which persuades people. We're, we're in a spiritual battle, as my buddy Dave the Distributist is fond of saying. This is a this is a, a battle of uh, of the spiritual, and this is simply not going to be fought on on the purely rational battlefield. And so, when we look at these arguments, we have to stop addressing them in a in a purely factual manner. Not again that we don't need to have facts. But I mean, really, guys, if if you if you need to explain that a man is a man is a woman is a woman and there are only two sexes and you're having scientists argue against that, I think it's time to recognize that you're not having an argument about science. That's not really what the argument is about. If You've ever had an argument with a significant other and you ever realize that the thing you're arguing about is, is not actually the thing that you started with, but it's an entirely different thing. Same thing happening here. OK, you're having a whole different disagreement uh, and that disagreement is far more spiritual in nature and so what you need is is really this in this race is to have a better way to re-enchant the world the good news is that wokeness is a terrible way to re-enchant the world it is weak it is ugly um it, it is gross it's divisive it, it has no even though it has a little bit of fervor to give people uh, some meaning to their life other in at the end it's very hollow it's it's, it's only surface level uh, it will fall apart. People cannot be sustained on this. Culture cannot be sustained on this. And so it's something that's relatively easy to offer an alternative to as long as you have one that is truly beautiful. And this is what the right has to its advantage is that we are the, the left is predicate is kind of the entire leftist coalition is built on basically denying the good and the beautiful and the true. They need to level everything. They need to destroy hierarchy. They need to destroy nature. They need to destroy beauty because all of these things uh, lock into right-wing patterns and they need those things to be destroyed. And so they are arguing against them. That's the entire project of the left. You know, the, the spiritual core of communism is uh, I don't care if I have to live a worse life as long as I get to punish the people uh, who otherwise would have probably ruled over me. That, that's, that really is the spiritual core of communism, you know, uh, kill the king, kill the capitalists and replace it all with this horrific gray level, you know, a uh, perfectly uh, leveled, uh, homogenized uh, mass like that. That really is the core of it. And so this is what the left is selling. And so they can't really give you the, the true and the, the beautiful and the good. And so the right has the ability to re-enchant the world in a far more meaningful way. And I know that's kind of I, I understand that that isn't in and of itself an entire plan, right? That's not a super fleshed out way to do this because I'll be honest, I don't know exactly how to do this either. We're all working on how to do this. If, if we had this answer, we'd already have it in play. I think big part of this does involve Christianity. I think we do need to return to a spiritual tradition that is fulfilling, that can actually uh, bind your society together, that you can actually uh, become a whole person by pursuing that can give you truth and beauty and identity in a meaningful way. 
uh, I think that's going to be a part of it. I think that's a clear part of it, especially in, in America, where uh, the Protestant Christianity in particular has always been core to the identity of the United States and the thing that has kind of given its social cohesion and, and moved its society in a in a particular direction with a, with a clear moral vision. I think that's going to be a big part of it, but it's not all of it, right? Because we have to, the right has to do things aesthetically that are going to change things. We have to make all kinds of changes uh, that we, we are not currently in a position to do. We're working on it. I think there are different people in different areas who are making advances. I think there are, there's a change in the notion of what needs to be done and how to pursue it. Uh, but it, it is important when we look at the, the discourse. You know, the, the main point of this is just to say that when we look at the back and forth, don't just look at the scientific, don't just look at the rational, don't just think that by making a particular argument and showing the intellectual inconsistencies and incompatibility of uh, different leftist views that you're going to get a win. Understand that you're in a spiritual battle and think about, and this might be hard because so few people are religious today. This is one of the big problems. We are so impoverished when it comes to a uh, spiritual reality. Most people don't know what it is to have a religious experience. They don't know what it is to communicate at that level. Well, how would you even win a spiritual war? Most people don't know because they don't even know they're in one. They don't even know that they exist. They have a hard time seeing the world around them in that way. And so that shift, that fundamental shift of perspective is necessary. Some of us who have been religious or more organically religious our whole lives, maybe we have a leg up on that, but it's something that all of us are struggling in because we're all impacted by this kind of uh, secular modernity. We all are kind of scarred by the disenchantment of the world. Even those of us who are religious are still impacted by it. And so to re-enchant that, we're going to have to go through a process that I don't think many of us are really prepared for. I think many people, even many religious people are scared about because they don't know anything could happen. When the strong gods come back, all bets could be off and we, we have to be ready for that. But I think it's important, again, when we have these discussions uh, with, with many people on the left uh, or when we're trying to win people over, we need to remember, again, that this is happening uh, primarily in a spiritual realm. And we need to shift our perspective because if we're just trying to bring the facts and the logic of the reason, I think we're going to lose this. And this kind of dovetails into my, into my second uh, thing I wanted to touch on real quick today, which was uh, the, the discourse around starship troopers. Uh, so uh, one of the things that's a kind of a cyclical debate that breaks out uh, online is, is the movie Starship Troopers. And many of you have probably seen it. It was from the 90s. It was made when I was a kid, so it's it's pretty old at this point because now I'm old. And uh, and so Starship Troopers is a movie that is taken from a a, a Heinlein novel, a Robert Heinlein novel. And uh, famously, the director who created Starship Troopers was attempting to to do a parody of it. He was Paul Vander uh, Vanderhoven is the guy who did like RoboCop and and uh, Total uh, Recall and stuff. And uh, he he read some of the book he was signed on to do the movie and he read some of the book and he just gave up on it he hated it uh but he still wanted you know had to do the movie and so he decided to turn this whole thing into a satire and so what happens often when you when you kind of have this debate is uh you know pops up and the leftists start pointing out how ridiculous the right is for enjoying certain aspects of the movie oh you're a sucker uh, the whole movie is propaganda it's made to look like fascistic propaganda it's, it's a parody of your beliefs and, and what you care about and you're a sucker for you know for, for finding any part of it entertaining or any part of it uh inspiring now to be clear there's a big difference between again the book and the movie uh, paul should have probably read a little more of the book he would have realized 
that actually the book's not fascist at all. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he's just that narrow. But but Heinle was not explaining a, a fascistic society. It, it's not even necessarily a traditional society in many ways. Uh, men and women serve together. The 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 nation is is or the 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 human alliance is is uh, multi ethnic. It's you know it's it, in many ways a very progressive view of kind of uh, what would be a society. And uh, Heinlein's point was simply in the, in, in this book that uh, mass democracy had failed humanity, that people didn't have a skin in the game. They weren't willing to sacrifice uh, and that uh, people had, had tried to use uh, 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 social engineering to alter humanity. They, they had, uh, well, a lot of what we're doing now uh, <laughs> was, was kind of what he was saying in the book. And that, you know, they, the, that the military had kind of stepped in and they had, uh, gotten rid of the social engineers, the, the the managerial class who had attempted to manipulate humanity and made it weak and 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 then thrown society into disarray. And instead, they had tied the democratic uh, process directly to service. You had to be a military uh, service member to actually influence society. You have to be willing to show that you would go ahead and sacrifice on behalf of the body politic to you know to to have a, a say in what was going on. And, uh, you know, the, the left looks at this and they say, oh, that's that's fascist. That's a military run society. But that's not the case. It's not that the military run society. It's simply that you have to show your willingness to sacrifice uh, for the greater good, being willing to put your life on the line for society before you have a say on what the society is going to do. And this is some this is some radical idea. This is literally how most societies worked. Warrior castes have often been the leading class, the only effective political class in many societies. And even in the you know in the case of uh, like the Roman Republic, where we, we would look at it at some level of democracy, or uh, many of the Greek city states, for you to have any say, for you to have a vote, you had to be a military age male. Uh, you you had to be somebody who would have been called upon, uh, you know, to defend the the uh, the city state. You, your participation in civic life was bound up with your willingness to go ahead and defend the nation. It wasn't some crazy idea that was at the heart of what many people would say of the, these founding democracies was the idea that you know the, the Roman army was made up of guys who had to be able to afford their own equipment. If you weren't somebody who was able to go ahead and you know buy your own equipment and defend your country, well, then you couldn't really involve yourself in leadership uh, because, because that was a critical way that you showed that you were able to go ahead and uh, put the needs of society above others, and that made you worthy of being able to then have input into the democratic process. So even if you believed in ancient democracy, uh, it was often tied directly to exactly the same thing that Heinlein was was, was tying it to. But the left can't imagine a world where this exists. Mass democracy is, of course, their goal because again, they want to. The egalitarian blob must destroy everything, and the best way to do that is to give every single person, whether they contribute to society or not, whether they be willing the division of society or not, uh, a voice. And so uh, the idea that this could be restricted to, is just you know an, an anathema to them. And so what happens in this discourse, it's always very funny. What happens in this, in this discourse is that leftists will always, again, point out you know, that, that Vanderhoven made this movie with the, the express purpose of, uh, of making fun of uh, kind of the right-wing impulse. So the idea, uh, the very idea that you would have a society that is completely defended by those or completely run by those that would defend it, uh, you know, he, he's there to mock this, right? And they say, oh, well, you can't see that this is making fun of you. You can't see that this is propaganda. And, you know, the, the response is, well, yeah, of course, but 
the people who are doing these things are still heroic and they're still beautiful. Like, they, you know, Vanderhoven, again, because he wanted to kind of give it the propaganda feel, uh, feel he only went ahead and cast very beautiful people, famously. He, he didn't really care much about their acting. You can tell by some of the performances. Uh, he cared more about, you know, the, the fact that they look, they would look like they stepped off a propaganda poster. And when you look at societies like this and you, you see, uh, you know, young people who are passionate about having a civic duty and protecting their society and wanting to lead through an example of, uh, of putting themselves in harm's way, uh, while also, you know, uh, be, being young and being beautiful, all these things, uh, these are naturally good qualities. Now, to be clear, like not everybody who's good is beautiful. It's not that that's not one to one the same thing. But obviously, these are good things to aspire to. It's good to aspire to these things and to understand them as goods in and of themselves. And doing so uh, will, will often lead you to better results, right? And so the, the fact that this impulse still in, inspires people, that people still watch that movie, and even though it's supposed to code as satire, uh, people still look at it. Yeah, the left gets very angry at this. They accuse people of not having media literacy, media literacy is I'm I I'm smart. Someone told me what opinions I'm supposed to have. And because the director intended something to look a particular way, that's the only way it can look. Now, of course, the entire point of the leftist project is to deconstruct everything every other author ever said, right? Like this is what leftists love to do, to go, you know, take a, a reading of all these classic novels and all the all this classic literature and deconstruct it and say, well, actually, even though the, the author might have meant this thing and they're trying to uplift you know, tradition or beauty or Christianity or something, really, there's a subversive reading. And what the author said doesn't matter, right? We call this literally the death of the author. The idea that you can go ahead and infer or you can go ahead and have all these different readings with these different lenses. And so you don't have to actually care about what the author says or what they intended. However, this is the one piece of media where what the author intended has to be the only way to view this, right? And so what they end up doing, because they're so they're they're so compelled to like try to make the chuds look stupid, right? Their whole thing is like, we have to make the people who would like the characters in this movie, who would like a society like the one of Starship Troopers, we have to make them look like idiots. And so if they're pro the humans, if they're pro, pro the beautiful people, if they're pro uh, you know, Doogie Hauser in, in, you know, some mid-century German garb, then we have to be pro the bugs, right? We have to be pro the literal, the murderous, ugly hive, you know, mindless uh, killing machines. Like we're on their side, right? That That's the amazing thing that they kind of do to themselves. And so I just always find this hilarious because it, we, we go through this cycle over and over again, where it's so important for them to kind of feel like they're more clever than than uh, than you know the middle Americans who who might just enjoy this as an action movie that they need to they need to go ahead and spiritually identify with hor horrific ugly things that are trying to murder humanity and I think it really just again speaks to a lot of what we just we just talked about when we were talking about the disenchantment and reenchantment of the world that the, this is what the left does this is who they are and, uh, and they they are this is so deep down in the core of their being that they will identify with the evil villains of pretty much anything as long as they think that it's going to go ahead and punish or embarrass uh, the other side and so i just i just always think that this is very valuable uh i'm always glad when this discuss discussion comes up because it really reveals the left for, for what they are yeah we get it it's a satire right we understand that there are many things that the left does when they're attempting to do a satire of right-wing views or values 
that accidentally look based, right? That this is this has its own genre uh, inside the entire conservative commentary sphere where they look at different movies and are like, actually, this is accidentally based. It's accidentally showing uh, something very cool or very true. Uh, although the villain here ends up being correct because they're trying to demonize uh, values that actually do work and, and are eternal truths. Uh, and these things keep coming through no matter what you do. This, this is kind of its own, uh, it, again, its own like uh, closet industry inside uh, right-wing content is just pointing this kind of thing out. Uh, so it's not like that we don't get it. It's not that we don't understand. It's just that it doesn't matter because even when you try to throw all these cartoonish things on top of the people in Starship Troopers, even if you dress them up in SS uniforms, even if you go ahead and try to scream, oh, look, it's a fascist, it's not. It's not. And it's clear that actually what's being portrayed here is actually just a much more functional society. Like the society in Starship Troopers is actually just in much better shape than the one we live in. Everything is clean. Everyone works together. Everyone has a purpose. Uh, everything isn't run by people who hate the society. It's run by people who actually have a stake in the society. And it's hard not to look at the world crumbling around us and say, man, uh, this looks like a way better way to do things. Uh, why is this satire like why because you dress people up in the bad guy uniforms that's that's the whole reason that we're supposed to hate this because in, in every other, other way it kind of actually seems like it's it's working much better is it perfect no but you know does that mean that the the world is a utopia no uh but but it seems to be working better than what we have now so you might want to be careful by calling it fascist because you might just encourage people to think that you know so maybe that works much better than than the kind of thing you're throwing around here. Again, Heinlein's book has none of this. This this is all uh, this is all injected uh, by uh, Verhoeven because again he wants to he wants to be very clever. He wants to make this satire. Uh, that you know Heinlein's book is is again something very different. In fact, they change a lot of things in the in the book, including the main character who is himself supposed to be Filipino. And so Van uh, Vanderhoven actually. Uh, makes the cast less diverse so that he can go ahead and get his point across, which is very interesting. Uh, but but big difference here. But like I said, just very funny. It's I think it's always entertaining when this uh, this discourse comes back around because the left always feel the obsessive need to go ahead and identify with uh, hideous bug creatures uh, and literally making the bug man meme uh, real. And it, that's pretty amazing. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, moving to the, uh, move into the questions of the people, guys. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, uh, the YouTube channel Magna Mira uh, has some videos about this. One is why uh, George R. R. Martin will never finish his book. Uh, it's because they're uh, cynically written and deconstructed. Well, yeah, actually, I, I think Dave the Distributist did that video. I'm not sure uh, what which YouTube channel you're talking about. But Dave the Distributist did a video uh, with the same, basically the same premise is that uh, there's no way for... Uh, Martin to go ahead and finish the Fire and Ice uh, saga, the, the Game of Thrones saga, because uh, the, higher th the entire thing is kind of based on this very cynical outlook. There's no way to, to satisfactorily tie things up. That's why the show was always doomed to have a terrible ending, uh, because there, what, what would a good ending look like in that universe? Uh, it, it doesn't work. And so I think, uh, I don't know about the channel you're talking about. Maybe they have uh, picked up on a similar strain, but, uh, but I do think uh, that that's true for sure. Creeper Weirdo says again, did you see AA's video on putting the work away? It's time for a debate stream, maybe. Uh, yeah, I saw the video. It was very unconvincing uh, that, uh, you know, I understand he's got to hype it up. That's OK. Uh, he's like, well, let me play some different commercials and things aren't quite as bad as they were. Uh, again, 
the the point was never that these things um would not come in waves the point is that the the woke will continue to be with us they will be shoved in our face uh I, again I, I find it funny he made this video about how the woke is being put away right after he had just made a video about how Sadiq Khan the mayor of London uh was was putting was relabeling the entire uh subway system in uh in london uh with all these woke propaganda names so the woke's being put away but also here's my video just before that explaining actually that the woke is still here and actually it's being forced on everything i don't really understand how those two things can jive uh but I, i'm still confident in my ability to secure a cigar from aa i'm pretty sure that the woke will stay right where it is Rupert Weirdo says, have you tried peace talks with the bugs? Yes, uh, that is uh, that is absolutely the plan of the left. You know, peace in my time with the bugs is is certainly what they're looking for. Uh, Joff here says, uh, are you familiar with St. John Strickland's argument from his book's podcast that, uh, or sorry, Friar, not Saint. Uh, John Strickland's argument from his book's podcast that Western culture went uh, wrong in the shift from a culture of paradise to culture of utopia prior to schism. I can't say that I have. That's uh, that's interesting. I'd be interested to see uh, kind of uh, how that's approached. I mean, I can just guess from the verbiage there that uh, that we shifted to the idea, idea that we needed to go ahead and become a utopia, uh, but uh, I'd have to look more into that. Uh, Joshua Beebe says, a person should be required to be uh, a person should be required to be the instrument of force before you can direct it with a vote. You do not ask of others what you cannot do for yourself. That is leadership. Yeah. And that's kind of the entire point, right? Is when, um, you know, of course we can go ahead and get people to support leaders who will go for endless wars because you don't have to fight them, right? The, the military is something you, the, the United States military is now a completely mercenary force. No one is being drafted into it. And most of the people who are part of the military are part of like, these generational uh, uh, military families who are sectioned off in bases far away uh, from the rest of society. They rarely interact. You know, you, you knew everyone either had fought in World War II or had lost a brother or a father or someone you know, that they care deeply about. Same thing with Vietnam. Wars used to be a civilizational cost. Uh, now that's not the case. Uh, and so it's very easy to convince people to go ahead and vote for people who are going to continuously deploy the military, use it. Uh, because they're not ever going to have to pay the cost for it. I think that that is just the argument being made in Starship Troopers. I think it's the, certainly the argument being made by Heinlein, even if it's not uh, entirely the argument that's being portrayed by uh, Vanderhoven in the movie. But yeah, I think that that is exactly right. And then uh, Trey uh, 50 Daniel says, that's uh, what's funny is that this whole discussion kicked off because a popular game, Helldivers 2, that is like Starship Troopers, uh, that is like Starship Troopers, the game, the lefty gamers were mad that uh, gamers like right-wing aesthetics. Yeah, and uh, it's so often the case, right? A piece of entertainment that was supposed to, uh, is not supposed to be enjoyed because it sends the wrong message. Uh, you, you're not allowed, you were, we were told that we're supposed to just let people like things unless those things are right-wing and all of a sudden you're not allowed to like those. I didn't realize that that was the reason that, uh, that the discussion had gotten back in circulation to kind of escape the video game world and and became much wider than that uh but that is interesting thanks for letting me know all right guys i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up but as always uh thank you for coming by if you would like to go ahead and uh if it's your first time coming by make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the youtube channel make sure that you go ahead and 
click the notifications, turn on the bell so you can catch these streams when they go live. And of course, if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Aura McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast pa- platform. When you do leave your rating or review, it really helps with the algorithm. Thanks for watching, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.